Welcome to the Cult of the Urca podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Vincent. In this episode, I'm going to take you on a journey to the most prominent Soviet labour camp of the 1920s and investigate the world of a group known as the 49ers. I'll be discussing the origins of that term and its link to a particular article from the Soviet Criminal Code. Also in this episode, I'll be taking a brief look at the class divide between inmates and how this plays out in the pages of the prisoner newspapers. I'll discuss some other labels which are self-consciously adopted or imposed on individuals or groups by others in a way which marks them out as being recidivists. One of these terms in particular would have a strong link to a place notorious for crime and corruption, a kind of Soviet version of the slums of Whitechapel. I'll end the episode with a description of the 49ers' social life and some of their behavioural rituals, and also some broad thoughts about what this means in terms of how we look at those we consider to be quote-unquote criminal. As always, thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode. To start by way of a shameless plug, my work and my upcoming book with Bloomsbury really begins at the first significant labour camp that's established following the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. Now this labour camp is spread across an archipelago, a collection of islands in the White Sea. Over time this archipelago metaphor will take on huge importance following the publication of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago. Solzhenitsyn's refashioning of this archipelago metaphor is actually based on conversations with a former prisoner from there in the 1920s. So the exact same time period that I'm discussing in this episode in regard to the 49ers. So this uh, collection of islands, uh, this labour camp, is known as Solovki. And uh, it's established on a, a place of former religious pilgrimage, which is what it really still exists as today. The Soviet regime starts sending prisoners there in 1923, and Solovki quickly establishes a reputation as a, a place of torture. For instance, the guards are known to shout at prisoners that the only power that exists there is Solovki power. So this place has a, a kind of Guantanamo-esque vibe to it, a type of uh, exceptionalism where um, only its own rules apply. There are also mass executions and descriptions of prisoners being tied to logs and rolled down this giant staircase which leads up to a church at the top of a mountain on the main island. So although the uh, word Solovki brings with it these type of kind of Narnia-esque connotations, uh, the, the actual site and what happens there is far, far from it. In 1926, a curiously beguiling figure named Boris Glubikovsky arrives at Solovki. Now, Glubikovsky is a theatre actor. He worked mainly in Moscow, toured around a little bit. He arrives back in Moscow following the 1917 revolution and the ensuing civil war. When we get to the 1920s, however, Glubikovsky is arrested as a member of a bogus organisation which goes under the suggested name 
order of Russian fascists. While other members of this suggested circle are executed, Glubikovsky instead is spared this fate and sentenced to a 10-year stretch at Solovki. So when he arrives on the archipelago, Glubikovsky becomes incredibly involved in both the prisoner theatre and the newspapers, which are created by inmates as part of their cultural educational activities. So Solovki has this huge printing press which is actually imported from the United States and the inmates produce a number of prisoner newspapers, one of which has qualities deemed to be so good that it is sold at kiosks in Moscow and St. Petersburg and also available by subscription. So Boris Glubikovsky writes for these newspapers about various topics, but central to a lot of his writing are the camp's recidivist elements, which he is incarcerated alongside. Glubikovsky collates a number of these different articles into a standalone publication. So this pamphlet, which is um, produced by the same printing press, available at the same kiosks and by subscription, uh, is titled 49. In Glubikovsky's own words, it provides an insight into the life, ethics and psychology of the camp's criminal elements. So this number 49 is taken from the Soviet criminal code. And what this article essentially does is it bans people from residing or entering a certain city due to any connections, real or suspected, with what is described as the criminal milieu. So during this time we have a, a passportization system across the Soviet Union and a hierarchy of cities uh, which is known as minus six or minus eight depending on the amount of cities selected to be part of that at any time. In terms of prisoner society however, this, um, this number of the criminal code, this article becomes a label which can be attached to uh, any suspected uh, criminal recidivists, um, regardless of whether or not they'd actually been sentenced under this particular code. So in terms of prisoner society, what this label 49 does, that it really shows the divide between um, political prisoners, uh, who are often from the um, middle class, intelligentsia and those from a lower class recidivist background. So Boris Glubikovsky, who's trained as a lawyer before he becomes an actor, is very much part of this cultural and social elite and he describes these lower class recidivists through the use of this term 49ers. So the uh, dichotomy the kind of binary divide uh, illuminated by Glubikovsky's work is also apparent um, throughout the prisoner newspapers using a number of very specific terms. So the most prominent of these in relation to um, lower class recidivists uh, is the word svai. So svai essentially um, translates as something close to, to our own, you know, one of our own kind, um, has that kind of um, inclusivity to it. And in the pages of the prisoner newspaper, it's used to indicate lower class criminal recidivists. 
It's also outlined in a number of different articles. Um, the authors um, state in a very, very matter-of-fact way um, who they mean through this term spy. So it includes uh, thieves, bank robbers, um, prostitutes. So um, during this time, prostitution is technically legal, um, and there are there are a lot of problems which emerge from the deregulation of prostitution following the uh, 1917 revolution. So the Svayi prisoners, the our own prisoners then, um, they certainly form their own group, they have their own theatre company, um, but they really struggle to get a voice in the pages of the prisoner newspapers. There's uh, one complaint in particular um, from um, a guy arrested for banditry um, complaining the articles in the prisoner newspapers are, are only written by five or six prisoners under dozens of different pseudonyms. So the prisoner publications then uh, are really dominated by the cultural and literary elite and um, their term positioned um, in opposition to Svayi is Freyera. So Freyera is uh, translated most commonly as uh, something like outsider, um, but also uh, in, into you know, kind of criminal parlance, more along the lines of sucker or mug, or certainly someone who is, um, is, is deemed to be an easy target for abuse. Alongside the term 49ers and Svayi, essentially mean the same thing, a lower class, real or suspected um, criminal recidivists. Um, there's a further term which has a, a specific affiliation to a certain geographic location. So this is the place in the introduction I refer to as being the Soviet version of the slums of Whitechapel. The particular term that's used um, in um, prisoner society and in the pages of the newspapers produced on Solovki is Hitrovka. So Hitrovka is actually a marketplace in Moscow which has become incredibly notorious for black market dealings and prostitution and is actually in the process of being closed down by the Soviet regime as we get to the mid-1920s. Now how this term is used in um, the prison newspapers and wider um, prisoner uh, slang in relation to kind of daily life um, is that it can be used as a, as a prefix uh, with a criminal profession added afterwards. So for instance, um, people will be um, marked as a uh, Hitrovka prostitute or Hitrovka thief, Hitrovka bank robber or so on. And as with the term 49, um, this is done regardless of any knowledge that they have a link to that specific location in Moscow. In essence, what this term Hitrovka becomes is more of a, a kind of mindset, an, an inclination for criminal activities um, that could be practiced anywhere. Although I'd like to return at some point to this discussion of criminal spaces on the outside and the interplay between those and prisoner society, how it affects relations between inmates at places such as Solovki, 
I'm just going to draw together some brief final thoughts about how we look at quote-unquote criminal prisoners and the labels that we attach to them. So firstly, it really strikes me that there is absolutely no way of knowing whether the prisoners who are described as 49ers by Glubakovsky and other contributors to the prisoner press are indeed sentenced under Article 49 of the Criminal Code. We certainly know that a lot of people are arrested and imprisoned under this particular article. However, during this time there is huge systematic police and judicial abuse of various articles of the Criminal Code. In the 1920s, I think this can be seen most vividly and strikingly by returning to the topic of prostitution, where large groups of women are swept up in police dragnets and sent to Solovki to serve sentences for a crime which has ceased to exist. So hopefully we'll return to the topic of articles of the criminal code and the importance of those for carceral identity, uh, particularly when you start to look at some of the tattoos that prisoners have after the development of the gulag apparatus in the 1930s. But for now I'm just going to finish on a final comment about the Article 49ers, who I feel have been underrepresented in previous scholarship, and my book, which is due out next month with Bloomsbury, is a way of partially bringing them back into view. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Vincent Criminal. And next week I'll be taking a look at a female super thief by the name of Sonka Goldenhand who defies the Tsarist authorities during the 19th century.